Good morning. God is good. Well, that first one was for me, because I'm still a little bit nervous, even though this is the third time. But God is good. That one's for you. There you go. Oh, I like it. Um, so if I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Caleb Heath. I serve as a student uh, ministries pastor here at Lake City Community Church, and I've been doing this for four years. And uh, this is my second time preaching here, so that gives you an idea of how much I actually get up here. Um, but it happens when uh, your pastors go on vacation and other people like take jobs in Indiana, like it just kind of falls to the f- fifth string quarterback. So, <laughs> yep, so that is what, uh, yep, you guys are in for. And, uh, and before we get going, um, let me know, I'm going to share with you just a little about who I am so you can kind of understand where, like, what you're hearing from is, uh, if any of you guys into the Enneagrams, anyone, anyone understand the Enneagrams? Oh, wow. It's, uh, you guys, not as much. Well, I'm an eight. I'm still going to tell you I'm an eight, which means I'm a challenger. And so just take that for what it is. That is my nature. I'm very much a challenger. Um, and it, it definitely comes through in so much of my life and my marriage, my parenting and my friendships. So, um, Today, as we, uh, as we jump into this, uh, just know that that's kind of who I am. Other things that I really enjoy doing is I love barbecue. Um, I like brisket that's cooked on barbecue. I like lots of stuff. So, but I'm excited today to be able to share with you. Um, and mainly because when Jim asked me to take on the 2020 goals, um, he said, he kind of gave me free reign, and I was like, cool. Um, and, but I'm excited because I want to take 2020 to the next step for us. Last week, if you were here, Jim actually opened the 2020 um, series, and it was his 21st time teaching that lesson. But he brought kind of a new wrinkle to it where he talked to us about habits and uh, how we need to have the lens of like growing new habits in order to be better, uh, to better, to be better followers of Christ. And I love that because what he did focus on was not the idea of like trying to be, um, trying to make our current self into having better habits, but he stated that we need to make sure that we become new in Jesus Christ to have those better habits. And I love that. I was like, okay, cool. I'm in at that point. I know that I need to be refreshed and um, re-energized and shaped by, uh, by Christ. And if you have not had a chance to hear that sermon, I would encourage you to go to lc3.com. You can hear it. You can see it there um, and kind of visualize it. But where I'm going to take us today is maybe a little bit different. Um, and I'm going to focus on an Old Testament um, passage that is very familiar to all of us in this room, or a majority of us. And before I can even go there, though, I, need, I think it's really important to, to ask this question. Well, why do we choose, why am I choosing an Old Testament scripture as we look forward to 2020, as we look out? And, I, and there is a culture right now, like in, in uh, today's world, that is very much wanting to unhitch the Old Testament from the gospel, from the New Testament. They're saying it, it's not relevant. It doesn't really show or it's not as important. Um, and I totally disagree with that. I believe that the Old Testament um, shows us lots of different things. And I'm going to give you some of those things. And before we can get going, um, and I start kind of sharing into these points, I think it's important to understand. First of all, I have ADHD. So sometimes my points may not go A, B, C, D. My points may go A, D, C, B, X. Like, so I apologize that you're just keeping up. And I, that's not actually meant to be a joke. Just sometimes it will kind of like bounce all weirdly. It's not intentional. It's just kind of the way that my brain operates. The other thing is, because of that, I didn't put a lot of points up on the screen because it's not fair to the person who's like clicking buttons or trying to follow me. That's just, I'm setting them up for failure. So um, today, though, our focus is about remembering. 
Our focus is trying to look forward, but looking backwards and saying, what is God going to teach us in order for us to be successful and be better followers of Christ? And so the first point that I have is we are urged to remember. This goes off the fact that, like, I don't want to forget the Old Testament. There's so many incredible stories that we teach in, in Sunday school to give basis and a foundation for our kids that sometimes, like, we almost leave them there in Sunday school. But, man, as we open up the Bible, we see there's so many great things that come from that. Here are three um, verses that actually come from the Scripture that talk to us about remembering. The first one actually comes from Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So right there we see that it's, it, it, it's supposed to give us hope, but it's, it's supposed to help us in our endurance and our encouragement. Thank you, Paul, for writing that. Also, Moses, actually, as he's standing on one side of the Jordan River, speaking and commanding the Israelites who are going to go into the promised land, he commands obedience to them. And this is what he says to them. He says, Deuteronomy 4.9, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Moses was incredible. I believe that there, he almost had a psychologist type uh, personality in him because he really spoke to this sense of like the human nature is we forget. If it is not right in front of us, we will be someone who forgets what has happened. And any, any wife can say, yep, I, my husband forgets lots of things. But we're talking about more of the, uh, the attitude that we have of like sometimes we forget what God has done for us constantly. Moses was a perfect, he had seen it from a leadership perspective. He sat, he was on Mount Sinai. He went up for 40 days to receive um, the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, the people had already forgotten about God and built a new idol for themselves. So he knew that, like, this has to be stressed to us, that our God, like, you need to continue to, to think about these things in order to keep your heart on them. The final one is one that we actually did last week. This comes from Luke twenty two nineteen, 19. Uh, it was the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And this is what he told them. And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body for which it is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said we, every time, and actually it was commanded to every time we meet, to break bread and to remember the, the sacrifice that he gave for the atonement of our sins. We are called to remember. There's other scriptures, there's other points in, the, um, in uh, the Bible that talk to us about remembering, and here's just a few of them that I'll name. We're called to remember the covenant God made with Abraham. We're called to remember that Yahweh declared his people from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He called us to remember the holy Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He also called us to remember that the kingdom was promised to David's heir. Today, we are not void of this, though. We actually do remember, right? Like, our nation remembers holidays, right? We have July 4th, which signifies independence. It was a freedom, you know, our freedom. And so we want to celebrate that. We also have ceremonies. We make stickers on the back of our windows. Like, if you roll around Lakewood, you'll see people who are like, oh, remember this person in such and such dates. Custom-made T-shirts and, dare I say, tattoos. People use lots of ways to try and remember. And tonight, when we, uh, or this morning, when we, we talk through Second Chronicles 20, which is where we're going to be at, I want us to get us in the idea and the framework of, like, we need to start, we need to keep remembering in order for us to not, um, to grow, to uh, not make the same past mistakes. And so, if you have your Bibles with me, I'd love for you to turn to Second Corinthians, or Second Chronicles 20. That's where we're going to be at this morning. There will not be scriptures up on the, uh, on the screen, so please, there are Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along that way. Um, I will also be reading the, the scriptures. 
All right. So I'm going to jump into actually my second point. Um, and my second point is, well, actually, let me do this real quick. Second uh, Chronicles 21 through 3. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came against, came um, and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. And that is about 20 miles away from the city. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, if we just stopped right there in verse 1 through 3, we could do a character study on Jehoshaphat. And we would be thrilled with Jehoshaphat's response to when he heard this, that there were three armies and he was outnumbered and he was fearful. His response was great, right? Like he didn't go and fortify positions, call someone to, he didn't call on um, his uh, friends to come and help him to make his, uh, his army that much stronger. No, Jehoshaphat stopped right there and he prayed and he called everyone to prayer they fasted and prayed before the lord but my second point is remember you didn't always follow god's directions and you're like what what caleb where did you come up with that from this section of scripture well first of all if you look back to two chapters you get a better look into who uh, jehoshaphat was chapter 18 jehoshaphat makes a peace alliance with israel which wow that's that's good thing peace is great but not But here's the person he made peace with, King Ahab. Yeah, that King Ahab, the one who took 450 prophets and tried to go against Elijah and and, uh, asked for rain and, and, uh, you know, who's married this lady named Jezebel. Yep, that Jezebel. No one names their kids Jezebel anymore just because of her, her history. Like, yeah, that's who he made an alliance with. Okay? And because he made a peace alliance with him, he was actually called by Ahab in chapter 18 to, uh, to fight a battle with another country. And to honor that peace agreement, he went. Now, Jehoshaphat, if you like, hear this story, there's parts of it you're like, yeah, he did some good stuff. And we'll, we'll come to that. But it didn't end well for him in that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of a paraphrase of that, cha- that story in chapter 18. So when Ahab actually calls him, he says, hey, I need you to come fight alongside me. I'm going to go against my enemies. He honors the agreement and goes. But when he gets to him, he says, hey, can we consult the Lord if this is a fight we are supposed to be in? That sounds good. I'd be thrilled if my kid was, that's what he came to me and said. But he, he says, hey, let's consult the Lord. So Ahab consults. He brings in 400 more prophets. I was, when I first read this, I was laughing. I'm like, man, there are a lot of jobs there. Like, that's 850 prophets. Like, man, they, they were not hurting for that role. But, eight, but 400 prophets come in and they give Jehoshaphat, they give him the word that he wants to hear. God says you're supposed to go in this fight. This is your fight to win. Jeho- or not Jehoshaphat. Ahab gets the word from his prophets that he is supposed to go into the fight. And he, he hears that. He feels good. Something in Jehoshaphat's spirit, though, says, no, is there a prophet of God that, can, that we can call on to answer this? But this is where the story turns a little bit weird. Because first of all, there's one prophet, Micaiah. And Micaiah always speaks against Ahab. He's always telling him he's doing the wrong thing. And like any person, he never likes to hear, a king never likes to hear that he's doing the wrong thing. Um, but to honor the agreement, he brings him in. And sure enough, here comes Micaiah, and he says, hey, we're going to go into battle. What do you think about this battle? Micaiah actually answers, it's your battle. Go into it. Ahab senses that something's not right in that. And he said, I've commanded you to tell me the truth. And he says, all right. 
Here it is. God blinded your prophets. He told them to tell you to go into this, but this, this battle's not for you. That response ends up getting Micaiah decked in the mouth and then thrown into jail for whoever. That might be the last time we ever heard of him. Actually, I don't know. But uh, he's, he's, he gets decked. They go into battle. And uh, knowing that this is not the battle for him, Jehoshaphat still goes into that battle. During that battle, Ahab says, I'm not going to dress up as a king. Jehoshaphat dresses up as a king. And, uh, and he stands out. Well, the, the, uh, the army of um, uh, Ramoth Gilead, they had, tar- they had one goal, was to kill the king. And so during that fight, all of a sudden they see the king, the one king that looks like a king on the battlefield, and they all go after him. Jehoshaphat's response is, God save me! And he turns and runs away. And, like, and all of a sudden he realizes like, he gets off the battlefield. Ahab eventually dies in that battle. From that moment, though, you see actually a different change in Jehoshaphat. That's where I came up with that, is that we don't always follow God's directions. Sometimes there's a maturing process that we have to go through in order for us to get to the place where we respond the right way. And I love the fact that when we, uh, when we read this first three, uh, scripture, one through three, we see Jehoshaphat who's changed by that experience. Instead of like going and trying to make alliances or call on favors, like he immediately goes before the Lord to get his answer. And so as we go down this, I'm going to, um, I want to go to actually our, our ne- when he starts talking to God, this is the part that I start, I really get into because Jehoshaphat starts rolling and he starts praying and he calls on God. And this is my, this is actually the third point that he, is not on your uh, list. And I apologize, but in verse eight and nine, it says, I want you guys to remember that we need to remember God's promises. And this is what it says. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and built in it for you a sanctuary with your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, the judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save us. Jehoshaphat actually in that moment reflects that covenant, the fourth covenant that was promised in Exodus 23. And this is what it says. But if you hearken attentively to his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. John Piper actually puts this in a really great great way. And I'm going to read this. And it says, anyone who opposes Israel will have to deal with the almighty God. And right there, like, I'm like, yes, that is who is on my side. We just came out of like the Christmas season where we talked about the characteristics of Jesus, the coming Savior, was he was a mighty God. He was a person who was going to fight in front of us and behind us and around us. But here's, the, here's the, the, key, uh, the kicker with this. Not only was anybody who opposed Israel will have to deal with the Almighty God if he keeps his covenant, if Israel keeps his covenant. That was, that was the kicker. When Israel did not keep its covenant with God, that safety or that protection was removed from that. We saw that continually. But Jehoshaphat, in his posture and his understanding of being humbling and saying, Lord, we are doing what you want us to do. We're calling on this of you. We, you said you would come and save us. He, he promises that. In Exodus 34.10, God also promises to us, I will do great marvels such as they have not been wrought in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord. So in defense of the people, God will do marvels to display his glory. 
He wants to do things in our lives that show his, his greatness, his authority in our own lives. Sometimes we have to just stop and pray and ask for him to intervene. God has promised us a ton. A ton. There's so many scriptures within the Bible that, uh, that are promises that we can state that will help uh, uh, solidify. Some of them that have really uh, encouraged me during times um, that tough times. One is uh, strength in Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I've also prayed for peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, presenting yourself to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. I've prayed for provision. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows what you need But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. In times of trouble, man, it's great to to rely on those promises. Jehoshaphat, rolling down through that, the rest of the scripture, his prayer to God actually ends in an an incredible way. And this, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. He says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on, on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Remember your commitment is the next, uh, the next slide. And the, there is an incredible power that we hold in the choices we make. They show our character. They show our, the way that we're being shaped and moved. We see this a lot when we make commitments or we make choices of like, I choose you, how much that can actually really weather a storm or actually move us through of like, I trust you. For years, people come and they say, like they get married. And if you were, you know, if you've been married, you usually make vows that say through better or worse, I'll stick by your side. That's very much a Caleb paraphrase. Um, I haven't led too many weddings, Um, but I was at one, mine. Um, So, and we didn't even really say those vows. We said something different, but... uh, so, but we, you make this stand and you say through thick and thin, I'll, I will be there with you. It's, when you're standing up there, is that usually thick or thin? It's usually the thick, right? Like, we're feeling good, getting married. I like this person. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with him. I choose you. But it, when the thin comes, you ultimately have to restate that and say, I still choose you. There have been times in my life where that has been the only statement that gets me through anything. It's like, I choose you. For 15 years, I worked. Uh, <clears throat> I was a juvenile probation officer, and I've worked with high-risk kids in uh, a lot of with uh, gang and, and drug. Uh, oh, just kids who struggle with drug addiction, and that was what I did before I came here. But one of the things that I saw that when we talk about uh, kids moving and being able to shift and be able to become free of that lifestyle or that sin in their life, which I can't talk to them about sin, but I can talk to them about um, just having a better life. The ones who actually truly get off it are the ones who ultimately make that choice. They make an emotional choice of saying, I choose to be better. I choose to grow. And it's in, it doesn't mean that it's without pitfalls. It doesn't mean that they, they do a, a great road. But you can always get them back to this foundational place of saying, hey, remember when we talked about you choosing to try and change? And they're like, yeah. 
you, you see so much more success with them when they actually make that choice. Because all of us have that belief, we want you to be better, right? Like, all us pastors want you to grow in your faith, but it has to be something within you that says, that's for me, this is what I want, I choose you. And that's what, that's Jehoshaphat as he finished his prayer. It was ultimately for him to say, Lord, whatever happens next, we still choose you. We may not know what to do, but we choose you. As Jehoshaphat ends his prayer, it ends and his prayer is answered. And this is the part where most people get focused on. And I, and I love this section of scripture um, because he, he receives word from Jehaziel, the, the prophet. And, um, and Jehaziel comes and tells him, right in verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come by the, and they, um, you, will, you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Right there, Jehoshaphat hears it. He gets, he hears the word that he had been praying for. We will be saved. This battle is not for us anymore. God is going to fight this battle for this, for him. And what happens next, and this is the next part that I want you guys to, to talk, is remember to praise God. In verse 21, um, this is what it says. And when he had taken counsel with the people... He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. What you see is, Jehoshaphat gives thanks to the Lord, and, here's, and then he aligns his priorities. He aligns his priorities. Not only does he hear the Lord, but he actually reflects his actions right after that are reflective of, I believe what God said. Because first of all, as a leader, I would probably still send my army back out, right? Like my army's going to go first. But no, not Jehoshaphat. He says, hey, get dressed in your uh, Sunday best. Band, you guys are going out. The Mark, the Mark Wilkening worship experience, you guys are leading the way. You guys, this is the song you're singing. I want you to walk out those front gates, sing it loud. The army's coming behind you. The actions that he, he stated were not someone who was still, he believed what God had said, and he showed it with his actions. I love that. How many times do we hear from God, but we still don't take that necessary next step that allows us to show that God truly is in control? And that's what Jehoshaphat did. And that's what we need to do. We need to take confidence in what God has like, told us, what he's blessed us with. Um, and it's, it's great. The, the saying that they actually, um, the song that they sing, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And I will not, um, I will not sing it for you. That is not a gifting of mine. Um, but that word is actually really tough for us to describe. Like, it's not something that we can unpack and be like, this is exactly what it means. But the Hebrew word, and I'm going to read this to you that I got from a, um, a commentary. The Hebrew word that expresses this steadfast kind of love is hest. H-E-S-E-D. It's used over and over again in the Old Testament, and 26 times alone in Psalms 136. No modern word can fully capture the meaning. We translate it as kindness, loving kindness, mercy, or loyalty, but those are still too vague. Hest is a love that is based on a covenant commitment, love that is loyal and faithful, even when God's people have sinned. He was faithful in loving them, and steadfast love is an integral part of God, the character of God. That was a piece like, oh my gosh, like, that is amazing. That's the love that God has for me. And it's, these words are great. We want to do adjective type words, but a covenant commitment. 
one that does not waver. He chose me. And he said, that's, you're the person that I'm, I'm going to invest in. You're the person I'm going to protect. Um, and I love it. I love the story of Jehoshaphat. And I hope that as we, um, as we look at this story, what I'd like for you to do where you're at, I'd like for you to draw a little circle. In, if you're following along in your bulletin or if you want to make a mental note, I'd like for you to draw a circle. And I want you to, in that circle, I want you to be able to answer the question. It doesn't have to be right now or maybe you have a very quick answer. But when is the last time God prominently showed up in your life? Like, it was him. God showed up, he saved me, or he did something, he answered a prayer, whatever it is. But when is the last time God did exactly did that? And I can attribute, whatever came next, I can attribute to him. That was him. So just right in that circle. I want to share something with you, though. Uh, and I'm going to share a story here in just a second. But one of the things is I read this story uh, about Jehoshaphat, and I didn't focus on God's response. I, I focused really on Jehoshaphat's response to God. Was at some point in our own personal life, our faith has to intersect with our circumstances. It has to, right? So much of our, our faith usually is like, here is our faith, here are our circumstances. And as long as we can maintain and do and operate our circumstances on our own will, we don't really inter- they don't intersect. The times that they generally intersect is when we have high stress, high anxiety, or we feel out of control. Okay? And I want to share something with you guys. This is my story. This is my story that God really intersected those two points. And so if you can just kind of share through some of these, these pictures. This story actually starts June 24th of last year. If you look behind me, this is uh, our team of missionaries uh, from this church. 49 of us went uh, to Ensenada, Mexico to serve uh, the community there, to serve families and orphanages. It was an incredible experience. I want to share that with you a little bit more just so you have a better picture of what we did. We went there to build houses, and you can just click every 10 seconds on it. Oh, we found out that uh, In-N-Out is quite awesome, uh, that they love Jesus. That's John 3.16 on every single one of their cup. Go, well, you can't really support them. You've got to drive a long ways. But anyway, In-N-Out was quite awesome. And, uh, but we went down, and we had the goal of building um, two homes for two families. We took our resources that you guys helped us raise, and we built these homes for these families um, who Honestly, if you look to the right and to the upper right, the homes that they are living in are essentially uh, from material that they get from job sites that they work at during the day. So that's some of our crew. We also uh, uh, we went and uh, helped with uh, special needs kids um, do equine therapy um, through an orphanage, and this was quite awesome, um, just trying to help these kids grow. The next picture that you're going to see is actually of uh, us. We actually hosted that uh, that that group. Um, we took them to the beach, fed them lunch. This is a picture of actually our own Bethlehem walking with a kid. That, that young man cannot walk, but for him to experience the waves and the water, we walked them in and played with him and just held on to him and we played with him. The, the cries of joy that came from him, like I was up on the beach, was incredible. Okay. The next... You, you, uh, there's some of the, there's one of the families that we uh, that was the group that um, served that family, um, and uh, we ate we ate some uh, oh actually oh we took a pretty sketchy uh, plane ride that uh, maybe three of us did no kids that was uh, they didn't sign waivers for that but uh, yeah that plane took us uh, on a really cool ride and uh, and then we got to serve we actually got to do an extra service we served one of the missionaries who. Um, who guided us around on our orphanage trip. We went and painted her house. 
Um, and uh, that was a really great thing. And then we got to pray. We got to pray for each family um, that we did. And uh, that was a quite, quite of an amazing experience. And we ate really amazing churros. Um, Costco churros are horrible uh, compared to what we ate. Oh, it was great. And we got to pray for each other. This is a picture of us praying over each other. We have a night where we wash each other's feet and we pray, confess, we just grow. Um, and then the next one is we got to, uh, we got to baptize. And uh, that, was, that was amazing. Now, if we ended this, oh, we found Shrek and Donkey. Um, at, uh, yeah, so if I ended this story, if I'd ended this story with you guys, I think all of us would be like, man, that, that was a good trip. That was an amazing trip. And it was. Like, I literally could have walked back across the border back home and really been reflective on that this trip was amazing. But here's the thing. The trip for me actually started right here at this point. So what you guys are staring at is obviously Shrek and Donkey. uh, they, They stand out. But if you look further, you see cars on cars on cars. On the day that we were supposed to leave, we had allotted a a good amount of time understanding that the border takes time to get across. If any of you guys ever traveled through Tijuana over to our side, it takes lots of time to do. Well, there is a website that you can log in and says, hey, this is how much time it's going to take. This is the the general time. So in the morning, we look at that that website and we say, oh, it's going to take us 90 minutes to get there. So we allot three and a half hours, four hours in order for us, or for, it was something like that, for us to get to the border and then to cross the border. And then we still had to get to San Diego to get a plane. We had lots of moving pieces, but we had talked, we felt very confident about our plan. We'd been on top of it. And uh, so we show up at the border and the border is fun, right? That's fun. Um, there is uh, dogs being, like two-week-old dogs being thrown on your lap. Hey, that's $600. And I'm like, no, it's not. I don't want it. Um, you know, there is, uh, there's lots of churros. There is blankets. There's ponchos. There's things. And it became like a game for us of like how much we could get the, uh, the ponchos down from like $80 to a reasonable amount, which I think the lowest we got was like 11 bucks was like a couple ponchos in my car. Um, and and uh, it was fun. So for the first like hour, hour and a half, you like you weren't thinking about anything. You weren't. You were just like, this is great. But all of a sudden you start realizing, wait a minute, over the course of this time, I've only moved an eighth of a mile. Literally every five minutes, you're moving about five to ten feet. From a leadership perspective, you're like, this could be a problem. So time continues to go. We have not eaten. So 90 minutes passed. We were expecting to be through the border to getting dinner and then getting to the airport. Time starts passing. There's no bathrooms. We're not letting kids out of a car. Um, I, I do have that much of a responsibility. Like, we're, you got to stay in the car. Um, so everyone has to use a bathroom. Like, food is, we're, we didn't come prepared to eat food. We were like, we had everything kind of lined out. And it became very clear, like, we are going, this, it's a probability we're going to miss this plane because we're not moving fast enough. The anxiety starts rising in me. And I'm, I'm thinking through, like, okay, Lord, like, what are we going to do? But also I start thinking more about, like, okay, what do I need to do? So we ask, we actually, about two hours in, we start asking, we send texts to parents, we send Facebook posts, and we also talk to the leaders, and we're like, we need to just stop and we need to start praying so everyone around us is praying, but my heart is not praying. My heart is thinking about logistics and like what I need to do to make sure 49 other people get home. So everyone's experiencing this moment. It's great. 
two hours goes, two and a half hours go, three hours, and it becomes very evident we are missing this plane. About three hours in, I hear from the back, and we're like, we just need to keep praying. And uh, Lauren, Adam, in my car, like, prays like, hey, forget it. We're going to pray that the, the, uh, the plane is delayed. And I'm like, cool story. Yeah, nice. And I'm like, but I'm like, you, you acknowledge it. You're like, that's a good thing. But I'm like, okay, now we're really in trouble because for two hours, I've been holding my pee. And I'm like, I'm in a car full of girls. I'm like, this is not good. Um, but, man, so at three... Our plane was, oh man, oh, we finally get, we get to the border, we get to the border, we have an hour and 10 minutes before our flight leaves, we have 30 minutes to get to San Diego airport, do the math, it takes us, at, at uh, 40 minutes to go from the doors closing, we get there, and we drop all our kids off, but there's still one problem, we I felt better at that moment, like, okay, I think they can get to the door and get on the plane. Here's the problem, though. We still had to go take our rental vans back to the place. We could not just leave them parked in front of a, an airport. Like, we had to go be, we had to take care of that. So I'm t- I told Dan Livingston, who was uh, leading with me, I was like, hey, when, can you call an Uber? Make sure the Uber is there to meet us so we can get back in order to, um, you know, so we can make a quick loop and see if we can get back. 40 minutes was our time frame. We drive back, our, our rental car is about five to 10 minutes away. We check in, we're like, and we're expecting the Uber to be able to take us right back to the airport. And that would give us about 15 to 20 minutes to, to get there. The Uber went to a wrong rental place. We're sitting, we are standing there, the four of us. And I'm like, okay. And that, you know, I go and ask the, uh, the, the, the manager who we checked in with and I was like, hey, would you be willing to just drive us to the airport? And he's like, it's not our policy. And I'm like, please? <laughs> he relents. Come to find out, he is an amateur NASCAR driver and drove crazy. Um, oh, that's a huge praise. Don't act like that. I was like, go, go get him. Go get him. I'm not saying nothing. Um, anyway, he got us there. So with about 10 to 15 minutes to go, and Rebecca reminded me last night when I shared this story, Rebecca was like, why are we even trying? We're not, the plane departs. It's not like the, the doors should be closed. The plane departs. I'm like, we still got to try. We got to try. So anyway, we roll through and we're like hustling in between, um, you know, the lines, you know, because there's, there's lines to everyone wants to get wanted and they're doing their thing. And anyway, we hustle through and like, we're just trying to get to our plane. Please excuse me. Pardon me. Forgive me. We're on a mission from God. Like you just kind of like you kept, you kept on like trying to move through the, na- the, the masses and we get through the scanners and all of a sudden I step up to the scanners. I'm like, man, not even thinking, just got to get through the scanner, try and get to the door. And I raise my hands and all of a sudden down from the stairs, one of the leaders come. I don't even remember who it was. Caleb, will you not believe it? The, the plane got delayed We're for 45 minutes. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, dear God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the TSA guy was like, drug testing's over there. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I don't care. We did it. We did it. In that moment right there, God intervened. God intervened. And I get to have on my little circle, on my little paper, I get to say, God answered my prayer, or not even really my prayer, but like I got to be a part of this where he intervened. Church, that is our story. God is constantly trying to do something similar to that in your own lives. 
He is. It could be through your marriage. It could be through your finances. It could be through your family, your home, stressful situations. But he wants our response to be something like, I'm going to go and just, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to call on your promises. I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to do all these things. But God wants to work in you. Because ultimately when he does, then I've got something I get to have a testimony about. As you guys know, we are a praying church. This is... um, and, and I'm excited to be able to share this with you. So if we are coming off a, a Christmas season where we prayed for well over 1,400 people um, on the Invest in, Invite cards and through the Concert of Prayer. And it was just real, uh, uh, it, it's just who we are. We pray for stuff. And so I want to invite you guys actually to another thing of prayer this year. Um, if you guys are familiar with anything going on in just in the youth world, Right now in high school, as kids exit their high school years, we are seeing a staggering number of kids that are walking away from their faith. Um, And you see anywhere numbers of 40 to 80 percent, depending on the survey that you read. But I just telling you, it doesn't matter if it's 40 or 80 percent. One is just too much for them to walk away. And so we are going to, in two weeks from uh, today, and actually in this moment, we're going to be kicking off a new campaign called the Pray For Me campaign. And what this is, is we are trying to seek prayer champions. And that is anyone who is 18 and above um, and uh, who would be willing to pray for one middle schooler or high schooler. And uh, this event is going to be big. Obviously, right now, our church serves about 125 high school and middle school kids. And uh, so we need a lot of prayer champions. And you're like, wait a minute, what does that mean to be a prayer champion? That just means that you're committing to, for the next six months, to pray for a student. That's it. And so if you would be willing to do that, and we're going to have more information coming over the next coming weeks. Um, Part of that is just as you, uh, if there is at the end of every aisle, there is these blue sheets. These blue sheets actually say, hey, I'd be willing to be a prayer champion. You're just going to leave your name, email, and phone number and circle your age uh, demographic. Um, And that is by design because we do want to have, we'd like to, our goal is to have one, um, one prayer champion from each demographic. Um, and, and that is just for each kid. And so each kid will have three, three prayer champions. We are looking forward to this. And this is just a six-month commitment to saying, hey, I'm willing to just daily pray for one of the kids in our service. Um, and so if you're willing to do that and you're willing to be a part of that, please just sign your name and drop this in the offering basket as it goes by um, here in a minute. Or if you don't get one, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't receive one. You can also in the Faith and Home Center, you can go and sign up right there as well. So Thank you very much.